Did she just poop? <laughs> Come on, guys. Ready? Wait on you. <laughs> Showtime. Welcome to, hey, did you ever see that movie? <laughs> I'm your host, Des, and as always, I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Lynn. Meteor shit! <laughs> and joining us again, the podcaster with a thousand potions, Mickey. Oh, just call me Billy. Everyone does. <laughs> and our resident horror buff, the podcaster with a degree in terror, Tony. I just don't do quotes. I'll just say <laughs> <laughs> Okay, today's pick comes from a listener. Eric wrote to say, I would love it if you could do Creep Show. I have such great memories of this movie, and still to this day, I cannot get through the cockroach scene. In my opinion, Jodie Verrill is one of the best characters in any horror movie. And of course, I want my cake, Bedelia. I know five is the limit, but I give it a six rewatch score, and I'm wondering why I'm not watching it right now probably because you're listening to the podcast <laughs> thank you eric for the request and thank you for listening to the show i hope we do creep show justice for you okay today we are doing the 1982 horror fantasy creep show creep show was written by stephen king and directed by george romero starring hal holbrook adrian barbu ted danzen leslie nielsen among many others as always, this movie will contain spoilers, so if you haven't seen it, go watch it, then come back and listen to the podcast. And now it's time for another episode of Disaster Peace Theater. So sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to Disaster Peace Theater, where me and my two co-hosts will act out one scene from the movie that we are reviewing for you this evening. So please, sit back, grab some popcorn, and enjoy the show. Quiet on the set! Camera speed. Sound production, take one. I suggest you get out of here before I shoot you. You've had fair warning, and I will shoot you dead. Ha 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 ha. You can't shoot us dead, Richard. Because we're already dead. We don't want to see you, Richard. We dug a hole. On the beach, Richard. Below the high tide line. Here we come. We just want you to come to the beach. Come with us. Come down to the beach. If you don't panic, if you can hold your breath. If you can hold your breath. I can hold my breath a very, very long time. <laughs> cut! 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 Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wow. Um, Mickey, well, who are you? Fucking Tony from um, The Shining? <laughs> I was trying to do it like a, but I, I didn't realize it hurt when I did it. <laughs> I was trying to like do my throat and it hurt. 
It's the first workman's oh, comp on the podcast. That's great. <laughs> Tony, I got to give it to you. That was great, man. You were gargling. That was fucking amazing. I loved it. Okay. Now it's time for Dez's four and one fun and one fake fact, where it will be up to my two or be up to my three co-hosts this week to decide which fact is total bullshit. Tony, you will be going last because there is no way I'm putting a fucking curveball past you tonight. Number one, Leslie Nielsen had a fart machine in his pocket during the shooting. He would let it go off just before director George A. Romero would call out action, causing Ted Danson and the crew to crack up laughing. Number two, the marble ashtray, which plays a major role in Father's Day, is featured in all five of the film's segments, if you look closely. Number three, Stephen King's son made a cameo as the boy featured in the movie's beginning with the Creepshow comic book. Number four, originally Creepshow had six short stories, but the runtime purposes on it, one had to be cut. The cut story was called Bedside Manor. It would later become the inspiration for Stephen King's 1987 novel, Misery. And number five, the alternate ending for Something to Tide You Over has Richard in the gas chamber after a murder trial, laughing hysterically while the life is choking out of him, saying, I can hold my breath a long, long time. <laughs> Mickey, which of these five facts... Do you think is total bullshit? Well, can you repeat number two? <laughs> Every week I'm repeating one for you because I can't fucking read. <laughs> okay. Number two, the marble ashtray, which plays a major role in Father's Day, is featured in all five of the film segments if you look closely. I'm going to say number five is baloney. Okay. You think that there was no alternate ending showing the man choking in the gas chamber. Dylan, which of the five do you think is total bullshit? The one about misery. And Tony, which one do you think is total bullshit? The one about misery. Mm-hmm. It's the one about <laughs> misery. And I Fuck. suspect that Dylan has been checking the five fun facts while editing the script. I have okay. not. Okay. I, don't forget, I am doing research on the movie, too. I read all this stuff online. It had nothing to do with checking your facts. Okay. But, side note, because yes. I'll jump ahead. They're creeping up on you, the one with the bugs. They yeah. weren't sure they were really going to be able to film it. So, they were actually going to do the short story, The Hitchhiker, which Ooh. turned out to be the last one in Creepshow 2. Oh, that was a creepy one, too. So that that was actually supposed to be in the first one, but they said, you know, we'll get you the bugs. We could do the bugs. And then they just put it off and ended up being the second one. I'm glad they did the bugs, but we'll get into it when we get there. <clears throat> um, with a budget of eight million dollars and a box office gross of twenty one million dollars, this movie was considered a moderate success. Of course, it went on to be a cult classic. Uh, Dylan, will you give us a synopsis for this gem of a creep show? Absolutely. A compendium of five short but terrifying tales contained within a single full-length feature. This film conjures scares from traditional boogeymen and portents of doom. In one story, a monster escapes from its holding cell. Another focuses on a husband with a creative way of getting back at his cheating wife. Other stories concern a rural man and a visitor from outer space and a homeowner with a huge bug problem and a boozing corpse. 
There we go. Nice. All right. Kick it off. All right. A stern interpret. Starting wow. off great. Starting mm. off great. Really good. Really I'm going to take the steering wheel back. I, please do. <laughs> a stern and tyrannical father named Stan well, honey, gets angry when up. he finds his young son, Billy, reading a grisly horror comic entitled Creep Show. After arguing with his wife and slapping Billy in his stupid little face, Stan throws the comic in the garbage. A skeleton figure appears outside Billy's window, the creep, who hosts the stories in the comic book. A wind draws the comic out of the garbage can, and the five stories within the comic come to life, dissolving from an illustrated comic frames to live action frames at the beginning of each story, and vice versa at the end of each story. Each story is linked by short animated interludes. Okay, Delyn, why don't you uh, pass this off to our hosts? <laughs> You're a jackass. <laughs> yeah, that was fucking awesome. Was it? <laughs> All right. Let's pass it right to Tony. Why don't you start us off with some thoughts on this opening scene, including um, uh, Stephen King's son getting a smack in the face. Well, I mean, that's that's one of the biggest stories. That Stephen King was surprisingly protective um, of his son. Wouldn't leave the set. Wouldn't leave. I guess he was within six or seven feet of him at all times. Hmm. Um, and he actually pulled Tom Atkins aside. He's like, you're not really going to hit my kid. And Tom Atkins like, oh, yeah, I'm going to slap the shit out of him. Just you know, because how often do you get to fuck with Stephen King? So he basically, no, I'm not going to hit him. I'm not going to hit him. But if you see, if you look and actually, because I'm a geek this way, if you slow the film down, you'll see he actually slaps himself when he turns away. Really? So it's like they didn't want to risk. You know, it, there's a quick cut where you know, Atkins is doing that, putting that sw- swing in the hand, and that cuts to his reaction. He's actually slapping himself to get the desired effect. But yeah, I mean, it's the, it's great that Joe Hill, big Joe Hill, you know, is 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 in the movie. I think that's really like a nice little. I mean, like the movie doesn't have enough stars to begin with. You just add right. another one, you know, for a future star, and not for nothing that when I first I was twelve when I first saw it. I saw it like in the first release, one of the few movies my dad took me to. So it was a, this movie is like a huge nostalgia for me. Mm-hmm. Sitting in, in the theater and looking at his room, going, "I have that figure. I have that Rodan hanging from the string. I have the Frankenstein poster." It's like, just I got it, got it, got it, got it. Need it, need it, got it. So it was just, <laughs> and tr- the film cap, the way the film was filmed, obviously cartoon comic book style, the lighting, everything about it just is so beautiful. Like there are a handful of movies that I could just put, you know, freeze frame, print it, put it on a wall. Suspiria, Trick or Treat, and Creep Show. Those are the three that I, any any frame could be something, could be a piece of art. So I mean, even just a simple shot of a jack lantern in the window, the way it's lit, the way it's framed, beautiful. I'm going to geek out over that all night tonight. So I'll I'll pass it off there. So Tony, <laughs> let me ask you, was it Halloween? Um, it was the, it was Halloween season, but it never said Halloween. We don't ever see trick-or-treaters. We see nothing like that. The jack-o'-lantern in the window is the only thing that even remotely refers to it's Halloween. And this movie was released shortly after Halloween? It was supposed to... It got released limited before the summer, and then they they did some test screenings, Boston being one of them. Revere was where I actually saw it, and they had a big celebration for it, and they had a big sheet cake with the poster in, in, in the frosting. So that's actually... I was actually one of the... At the screenings... And then they released, I think it was a wide release, I think in November of 82, if I remember correctly. 
So, I mean, yeah, it was it was testing out, see how it was doing, and then they realized we can't go up against Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. That was the big release for the Halloween season of 82. So they couldn't go up against it. They were afraid to, and then just did that. Now, Tony, as a young horror buff, did your parents support your horror <laughs> obsession, or were you smacked and had your comic book taken away? I, My <laughs> parents were shockingly defendant of me. I had so many meetings with guidance counselors and relatives who thought I should go to therapy and something wrong with that boy and the whole thing. And, you know, my parents, they weren't, they didn't buy me the things that I wanted. You know, I had to buy my own Fangoria magazine. I had to buy my own figures and and posters and stuff, but they, they never said, don't watch that. They never said, don't do that, which is really, I look at, I mean, I'm an 11 year old now and I am letting him be a, a kid as long as possible. I'm being the parent that I didn't want to have, which is not fair. feels hypocritical, but I don't want him to see things that he can't unsee yet. Right. When I feel that he's really ready, then we'll start, you know, he, he did watch creep show. Creep show is one of the ones he wants to see because I felt it was more monster and comic booky than mm-hmm. anything else. So he's seen that he's seen this and he's seen the thing. Those are the two horror movies that he sat through and trick or treat. We forwarded through the werewolf scene because the boobs. Can't. Nudity is <laughs> terrible, but violence is fine. You know, go figure. Yeah, um, we've said on this show before. I saw an American World for London way too young, and I wish I hadn't. You know, right. So, my parents. Long answer, longer. My parents were surprisingly supportive of me. Cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I I didn't. I saw this on HBO when I was a kid. I probably didn't see it until I was maybe fourteen or fifteen. I definitely didn't see it in the theater. Um, they said that Tom Atkins wanted the role of uh, Jordy originally, but Stephen King got it because Romero wanted him to have it. And from what I understand, King is embarrassed of his performance. Is that right? And uh, uh, yeah, yeah, he says that Romero forced him to go over the top with it. Um, I thought it was great. We'll get to it when we get to it. Um, I also heard they used the real skeleton for the creep. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't think it was for the creep. It was somewhere else in the movie. I don't. I don't remember that one. Yeah, I'm I don't pretty remember. sure they said they used it for the creep, but maybe it was for um, uh, Father's Day. I'm not sure. Uh, I I don't I I don't know. I don't that one. I I've not heard. I know they use real skeletons in in Rocky Horror. I know they used real skeleton in Poltergeist. Yeah, but I didn't know this one. I mean, Tom Savini is so self-reliant on his own effects and his own sculptures and his own everything. It would surprise me to feel, to hear that he took a shortcut by getting a real skeleton. Right. And they said it was cheaper to get the real skeleton, just like with the roaches later. Um, And the last thing I'd say about this opening scene is, um, so they're showing us the creep outside the window, which I love the name, the creep. So cool. I always thought it was the crypt keeper or, uh, you know, but obviously it's the creep. Um, I love when they show the, the real creep and then it, morphs into the comic creep yeah and i just thought that was great because i didn't want to look at that that dummy too long because it looked good but it didn't look great and then when they morphed it into the cartoon it kind of helped my imagination see it the way i think romero wanted me to see it you know what i mean so yeah and the last thing i'll say about the soundtrack in this movie is easily in my top five of all time like this one actually has a a serious rotation in my house is dumb as that sounds it's like i can put the, the creep show soundtrack on at any time i'm just like it's my it's my mac and cheese it's like yeah. i'm just gonna say like, oh this is nice so you know it's just every every episode has its own themes its own sounds its own everything god i love this movie 
Mickey, what did you think? I feel like you, yeah, you're just honestly, sort of... I thought it was so well done. Like you, I have a lot of nostalgia for this movie. Um, I don't remember the first time I saw it, but I remember like, and we, it's funny because we were watching it last night and my husband has only seen it like once, like years and years ago. And this is not really his bag, but he actually enjoyed it. But like he gets frustrated sometimes because I'll, I'll recite the movie along with the movie. <laughs> um <laughs> It drives him nuts, but it drives me nuts when he does it too. But, but like, I just have such nostalgia about this. And I remember, um, my cousin and I, like, I would, I would push this on them all the time. I would push horror movies on my cousins that were younger than me. And I would literally sit there and I, my cousin like was so tortured because I used to walk around going, I want my cake, Bedelia. You know what I mean? And like (laughs) totally mess with him. But like my, my first, um, my first memory of a movie was Trilogy of Terror. And I think oh, I was four or five when I saw that. Wow. Nice. And I'm, yeah, yeah. And I'm no, still. To this day, I can't with that one. I can't. You know what? And the scary thing is, so here's the scary thing about that before we get, it's a little story, but I, my, had an aunt and uncle that were babysitting me and we, we watched that show. My mom was like going on on a date or something and we watched it. And I remember being so terrified of that freaking Zuni fetish doll. And I used to call mm-hmm. him the Wawa man. Because the noise he made, he was the Wawa man. I can't believe I'm telling everybody this, but he. Um, so they went out, and I was. They were babysitting me, and they turned off all the lights in the house and chased me around making that noise. <laughs> oh my god! So no, I was literally like to the. I am you know to this day. So then I thought when when you know DVDs and VHS came out, I'm like I'm going to buy the movie and rewatch it and rewatch it and rewatch it to desensitize myself. And I watch it now, and yeah, it's cheesy and corny, but he still scares the crap out of me. And I, to this day, I still have nightmares about that guy. Um, but as far as Creepshow, like the nostalgia for me, I thought it was so well done. I loved how they were all so – all the stories were so different, um, but they – you know, and the way that every time the story ended, they would weave it into like a like a um, a still from the comic. Love um, it. The Creep was awesome. And I remember, I remember watching that as a kid and looking – at his w- stuff in his room going, I want that. I want that. I want that, <laughs> you know? Um, so I just, I do. I, I love this movie. I thought the opening scene was really, I did not know that that was Joe Hill though. So that's cool. I, I, I had no idea um, that that little boy was actually Stephen King's son. Um, but Tom Atkins, like he's been in a ton of like horror stuff. Um, and I just remember hating him so much. Like I'm like, Me thank too. God that guy's not my dad. You know what I mean? But no, sweetest, I thought it was- sweetest man. Oh, he's such such a sweetheart. Hey, that's really? why God made yeah. fathers. Uh, best line. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite quotes that my my son hears a little too often. <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe if I had a Tom Atkins in my life smacking me in the face, I would have done better in life. Who knows? I mean, was it that bad? I don't know. So Mickey was afraid to share that story, but she uh, she divulged that she shit her pants without a, without a problem. It's different. Priorities, man. Priorities, you know. It's, Dylan, tell us about Creep Show. Uh, honestly, I can't add much more than what they said. I will agree with Mickey that Zuni Doll is the scariest. Like I saw that when I was too young to see it, and I was terrified of it. And to this day, I'm still. Ter- I won't watch it. I just nope, can't do it. Can anyone tell me the other two stories though? Mm-mm. No one can. Oh, yeah. It's only the Zuni Doll. That's it. Nope. It, Amelia it was the, the Zuni fetish doll. Yeah. Um, the first one was the twin sisters. And I forget their names. Look at you. Go ahead. What's the second one? And the second one was about the woman who um, she, the, the student thought he was going to like seduce her. And then she, it turns out that she was like a witch and she like. Mic drop. 
Nice. Good job. <laughs> Impressive. <clears throat> I remember Amelia, though. And the scary thing is, is our, we have a dog named Amelia. That's <laughs> oh, so cool. So, Delinda, are you going to uh, take control of the ship again? I'm going to try if you don't right. take over. Hit it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, this is long, so bear with me, kids. Our first story is Father's Day. The Granthams are a wealthy family with a macabre annual celebration. Sylvia Grantham gathers with her family members Richard and Cass and the eccentric Aunt Bedelia on Father's Day. While they are waiting for Bedelia to arrive, the family members explain Bedelia's backstory to Cass's new husband, Hank, notably played by a very young Ed Harris. It seems that Bedelia's father, the now deceased family patriarch Nathan, was pathologically jealous of Bedelia. After Nathan had her lover murdered in what was written off as a hunting accident, Bedelia went over the edge. While caring for the elderly Nathan, Bedelia snapped and bashed, head, bashed Nathan's head in with a marble ashtray. The family conspired to make it look like an accident, and Nathan's massive wealth was divided among them equally. Ever since the time of the murder, which occurred on Father's Day, Bedelia visits her father's grave at the family estate, then joins the others in the mansion for dinner. This year, as Bedelia sits on Nathan's grave, Nathan's rotting corpse emerges from the ground and attacks her, strangling her to death. Nathan then exacts revenge on the rest of the family. Hank is squashed with a falling gravestone. The housekeeper, Mrs. Danvers, is killed. And Nathan twists Sylvia's head off of her body. In a final gruesome joke, he surprises Cass and Richard with Sylvia's head decorated to look like a Father's Day cake, complete with burning candles. So, Mickey, I kind of thought that killing Hank was an odd choice since he just married into the family and didn't even know the secret until that day. But I suppose poor Mrs. Danvers got it too. And do you think we assume that... Uh, Good old Nathan finished off Cass and Richard after the story ended. Oh, absolutely. And you know what's funny is I remember when, when I was watching it last night, that scene with the when he's when um Ed Harris is, you know, drinking and then he falls and then the the um the stone keeps moving. That yep. used to scare the crap out of me. I, for, I, out of all the things in that movie, that scene freaked me out the most. Just like because it was just the sound of it. And he like, he wouldn't, and I remember thinking like, get up, get up. Like, what do you do? Why don't you, you know what I mean? Like, why don't you move? Um, but yes, I do. I think that after the scene ended, I'm sure that they were, they, they were party favors. <laughs> <laughs> Tony. So, does, does you got to turn the TV off, man. I'm just seeing total clips from the heart right next to you. Dude, killing me. <laughs> All I'm paying attention. I'm like, I'm hearing words, but all I see is total eclipse of the heart. I, I got distracted by it earlier. Yeah. Yeah. But behind him was Duran Duran the a banshees. little bit ago. <laughs> it's an awesome station. Um, every, this is this in the crate are my two favorites because it's just, it, there's almost nothing wrong with this one. I mean, aside from the Ed Harris dance, which is a classic on its own. You know, <laughs> That just dance so was something awesome. else. It's just, it's because it, it's it, so far the movie's just been all right. We saw a skeleton. We saw this. When that hand comes up, that is just, dun -dun, dun -dun, dun -dun. it's like mm -hmm. the music to go with it. You don't see it coming. It's silent right before it. It's just, and um, Vivian Lanford, it's just her monologue right before that happens about the anger towards her father. It's just such a, a great scene. She's she so awesome. Oh, so amazing. Um, just uh, the guy who plays the zombie is actually the guy who plays Martin in George Romero's 
vampire movie Martin, John Amplis. So mm-hmm. the reason they hired him because he was the skinny little guy. So when they put all the chess pieces and all the stuff on him, he would look like a normal guy. So that's the only reason he really got hired on it. But it just keeps the Romero family together, which is the one thing every commentary, every story, every, every behind the scenes, everyone will always say, Romero didn't build crews, he built families. And you see the same crew, the same actors, same extras are in every Romero movie, which is always kind of nice. You're always like, oh, all right, so that person's in this right now. Um, but Father's Day is just, oh, such a great revenge story. And you hate you hate the, the patriarch so much because he's we all have that relative. We all have that that person we knew that's just like, my God. But yeah, it, it's just so, so good. Um I could keep going, but someone else take it. Run with it. <laughs> well, stylistically, this one for me felt the most because I know this movie is 1982, but and some of it looks like the 80s, like you know the one with uh, Leslie Nielsen and stuff. But this one really felt like the 70s to me. Like it just it was it was like uh, an episode of soap. Like when it starts off and they're in the, they're <laughs> dancing. Like I feel like I'm waiting for Billy Crystal to come in. Like this is soap. That's um, a good reference right there. Yeah, yeah. very 70s. I thought, I thought this one was fine. This was my least favorite, believe it or not, out of the five stories. Oh. It it went, it just went a little long for me. It just went a little. And when I say that, I don't mean I didn't like it because I did. I thought it was very good, but it went for so long that it kind of. I wish if they had compressed it down a little bit, it might have been a little easier to watch for me. Whatever, but it was still great. Um, I felt really bad for Bedelia. I did not want her to die. I felt like her father had been abusing her. And I felt like he killed Henry or he killed Hank because Hank was her lover. He was her husband. And I'm not saying that the abuse was like necessarily no, like Hank is Cass's you know. husband. Oh, okay. Peter. Peter was her husband. Yeah. He okay, killed yeah. He, he killed the, her 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 new husband because he was yeah. jealous to take him away. Exactly. But he was yeah. abusing Bedelia for sure. Wouldn't you say he was an abusive figure yeah. in her life? Oh yeah, yeah. controlling. Yeah. Um, you know, I listened to another podcast and they had all kind of hinted towards they thought that there might have been like some sexual abuse. It was never implied, but like the way he gets on top of her and, you know, the cake and banging the the fucking stick. And I don't know, but I felt like she gave him what he deserved. I didn't find her to be villainous at all. And I didn't want her to die in this. Um, no, story. she's the coolest person in that whole thing. If you ask me yeah. driving like a lunatic, the hat and the hair. Yeah. And I'm just like, I, I love know. her. And then she, she gets awesome. it first. And I'm like, ah, boo. I loved her. So mm-hmm. Tony, let me ask you this. So she's sitting at the grave, um, Bedelia, right? Yeah. And she's drinking the Jim Beam. <laughs> yeah. And she drops the bottle and the Jim Beam starts pouring into the ground. Is this what? Um, prompts him up from the grave because Finnegan's, say- wa- Finnegan's wake. Yep. Yeah, because she says that he was a moonshiner, right? There's a there's a deleted scene because I, I, I know this stupid shit. Uh, there's a deleted scene where um, the silver haired aunt I forgot what her name is. She's in yeah, telling so. Hank and the rest <clears> of them. <throat> it's it's the intro scene where she's basically saying who Aunt who, who Aunt Bedelia is and goes over the fact that he the father made his money murder for hire bootlegging moonshining he yeah. lists this like laundry list of terrible things that he's done to make their money that's why we are where we are and why we owe her because there was no questions with the will there was no questions that we all cleaned it up everything is fine do i think she did it i know she did it and then it goes right. back to the regular movie so yeah and there's the old irish um 
song or legend what uh, i'm using the wrong words but of finnegan's wake is that you 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 know you pour out the whiskey for the for the fallen and that brings them back everyone says when the gym beam falls in that's what makes them rise up and and come back yeah because i noticed romero made sure we saw that that gym beam pouring into the ground and uh Bedelia does say you know you you're a goddamn bootlegger or something under her breath while she's drinking so um and then so we're gonna get um Hank laying down, he trips, he takes the Jim Beam, he takes a sip and he trips and falls down. And Delin had said, you know, the headstone is moving. And I'm I'm asking you, is the is the corpse using like telepathic powers to pull? Because he's kind of like using his hands and yeah. so yeah, he's using his mind. Because if you thing. if you look, he reaches over to get up and he grabs the hand, and all of a sudden Bedelia rolls onto him. He doesn't pull her. She no. rolls onto him. Okay. Right. So it's like, I feel that Nathan put her on him and to hold him down. And okay. then he's using whatever power he has to drop it on him. Yeah. I kind of felt the same way. Okay, cool. I Delin? mean, he's got a lot of strength for a dead dude. He's snaps Sylvia's neck like a twig. So <laughs> <laughs> just cracks her right in half. All right. Anything else before we move to the next one, guys? Uh, Tony, go ahead. Give us some more on this one. It's your favorite one. <laughs> it's it, dumb little pieces of trivia. The fact that the estate that they filmed it on, um, when they actually dug the hole in on the on the grounds for the for John Amplos to, to come out of. Mm-hmm. Yep. The next day, the owners, the owner of the estate, his dog died. So oh, they're like, really? well, we got a hole. They buried it in the hole. Stupid oh, again. We got a hole. We got a headstone. They left the headstone so for the dog. Oh, and the dog is buried God. there. So it's kind of nice, actually. Yeah, it's just random things from that one. Wow. Um, I think that's all I got for that one. All right. We can always go back if you think of something. Yeah, like I said, that that was my out of all of them, this was my least favorite. And and I love them all. It's just because I had to pick one to be my least favorite. And it's funny because I know a lot of people really hate the one with Stephen uh, King. And I found that one to be very like charming. And I thought Stephen King was great. Yeah, it was fun. Um, This just didn't feel like a horror movie. Did it feel like a horror movie to you, Mickey? Um, I think initially, like when I was younger, it did. Now, I don't want to, I don't know. I don't want to say maybe more fantasy. I don't know. It, it, I guess it's a horror movie, but it doesn't, maybe because I've seen it so many times and I'm desensitized to it, it doesn't feel like a horror movie to me. Um, and none of the, I don't, I don't know. I can't answer that one. It was fun. I, I thought it yeah. was fun. I thought it was fun when I was 15 and I thought it was fun now. So I always um, just thought it was. Do you guys cool. know, and I don't know where I heard this and did, okay. I know Des, you said you have not seen the mist. Tony, have you seen the mist? Hundreds of times. Okay. <laughs> Tony's seen every horror movie, Mickey. Okay. Love this movie. I loved the mist. And someone said that initially the mist was supposed to be a short story and part of a creep show type movie. Do you know about that? I'm I, glad it's not. I, I, cause I love the movie. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad it's not too. I've, I haven't heard. I mean, if I've heard it, I forgot it, but I don't think so. Okay. Um, cause I mean, it was part of skeleton crew. It's right. funny cause w- coinciding with the release of the, of the, the paperback, they released a 3d audio, which is pretty much just surround sound cassette which I have still because it's just the things slithering in the background. It's just, yeah. it's complete surround sound in, you know, just 
you know, audio book, but I've never heard of it being part of, a, of an anthology. Thank God. Oh. Cause yeah, it definitely deserves its own. Yeah. Okay. The movie is just a masterpiece. It is. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to Jordy Verrill. Story number two, the lonesome death of Jordy Verrill. Jordy Verrill is played by Stephen King. And he's a simpleton who lives alone on his family's rundown farm. A meteor crashes to Earth, landing in his field, and Jordy has aspirations to sell the meteor to the local college for a small fortune, $200. He tries to pick up the meteor, but it's too hot and it burns his fingers. Jordy's solution is to pour a bucket of water on it, but it causes the meteor to split into two. A dejected Jordy sees his dreams of $200 go down the drain. Still, he resolves to try and sell the halves, which are now covered in a greenish liquid. Later that night, the crater where the meteor landed is now covered in a weird green plant life, as is everything that the meteor has come in contact with. Jordy notices his fingers have green wounds on them, presumably from the burns, but later he discovers the alien vegetation, which has now covered the entire farm. Jordy realizes that the alien plant life is now growing on his skin. As the night progresses, Jordy becomes covered in shaggy green weeds, causing him to itch. Jordy's itching skin makes him run a bath, but before he can get in, the image of his deceased father appears to him in the mirror and warns him against getting into that water since water is what makes weeds grow. Jordy gets in anyway, and when morning dawns, Jordy has become a gigantic lumbering mass of alien vegetation. Desperate, he shoots himself in the head with a shotgun, revealing that the deep green weeds have already penetrated his brain. Afterwards, a radio announcer is heard forecasting heavy rainfall, suggesting that the extraterrestrial plant growth will further spread to surrounding areas. So, Des, I loved at the at very end here the touch of including King's fictional town of Castle Rock as well as real the real city of Boston on the mile marker sign that's already got the alien vegetation on it, so you know it's heading towards the city. Yeah, what I loved about this one, this is what I thought was so clever about this is when I was a kid watching this, I never picked up that this is like an alien looking for a host. You know, um, it's it's this story is so much deeper than what meets the eye you know this character of Jordy. it's really it's a very sad story really with a very sad ending when he says at the end you know let me get something right let me just wants to fucking kill himself and just get it right yeah and you know <laughs> i was just thinking you know oh he's got this fungus on him it's not a fungus it's an alien life force so you know it's got the host it's got Jordy. it's taking him over it's taking over everything and uh Tony, did you hear, I had, I had heard that they found um, King walking down the middle of a street, reading a book and drinking a bottle of Dom Perignon. Like I heard he was a little unhinged. Did you hear this story? You mean just in general or during this? Well, movie? during the shooting of this movie. <laughs> um, I've heard, I haven't heard he's unhinged as much as he's just Stephen King. Okay. I've heard he's really, really quirky. Um, there was a story that someone was in the middle of, you know, after after I was the crew would be sitting around, everybody would be hanging out at the hotels drinking. He everybody would wander room to room. Stephen King would wander wander and grab a drink, whatever. And someone would be telling a story. He would literally just look at them and get up and run out. Oh shit! And they're like, "What? What the? Where the fuck did Steve go?" And so the next day, the crew would go to to um to Romero, and it's like, "I think I I said something that really pissed off King." And like, well, "What? What were you talking?" About? He's like, "Oh, the blah, blah blah this." He's like, "Oh no, that's just the way he is." I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I, I checked in with him, you know, late last night. He just, he, something you said inspired him to write something. So he had to get that thought out. So he literally, you could be mid sentence. He will run up, get up, run out and write just to go write. Cause it turns uh, out the guy was, was doing a, a, 
it was two crew members doing an interview between Tom Snyder and Charlie Manson, you know, playing the roles. And he was doing Charlie Manson. And when he got in the middle of it, King got up and run out. And it turns out he was in the middle of writing Christine while he was on set of Creepshow. And there's in the first like hundred pages, there's a, a Charlie Manson reference. And he, he basically, oh. yeah, that's, that's me. That's <laughs> during our conversation, he got up and went and wrote that chapter. Oh, that's awesome. And it's funny because Christine's oh, wow. actually named after Romero's wife, Christine Romero. So he named the car after George Romero's wife. A, a movie that I would really like to do eventually because I, I love Christine. Yeah, One I of my too. favorites. Uh, Tony. Interesting. So this scene, you're seeing it the way I'm seeing it. Do you think this is an alien, uh, an alien life form looking for a host or do you think it's just an alien fungus? Um. I think it's an alien fungus because if it was an alien host, it wouldn't have let him kill himself. But I maybe it, it didn't understand what a gun was, you know? Oh, uh, all right. If we want to go there, I suppose I, I can't argue it. I just, I <laughs> think it, if it was just a thing taking over the road, the signs, the, the, the chair, the bottle, it doesn't know what it does. It's just, it's a thing that's going to take over everything. Um, yeah. But I do agree that, it's definitely a sad story. Everyone always, oh, that's the funny one. No, it's not. It's tragic. Yeah, it's and those are those are stories that I don't <clears throat> like. I generally, yeah. like, as soon as that one comes on, I'm like, oh fuck, I, I'll only look at my phone for a while because it, it's the it's the the Frankenstein King Kong theory. It's like yeah. Frankenstein depresses the shit out of me. Yeah. King yes. Kong actually makes me cry at the end. Me too. Because yeah. all he does is he's just doing, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I crawl up to the building. I'm doing what I think I should do. And you die. It's like, that's not, he's not a monster. He's just doing, he's King Kong being King Kong. Yeah. King Kong is a giant puppy and I am not watching <laughs> anybody kill the biggest puppy ever. I, I, that movie destroys yeah, me at the end. No exactly. Ways. And and Frankenstein the same way. He's just, he was brought back to life, doesn't know what's going on. And they're, they're chasing him down. He just, he's trying to like be good with a blind man, trying to play with a little girl and it just goes bad. And it's, it's a sad story. This is the same way. And I agree. You're right. Let, let my luck be in just this once just to <clears> kill <throat> himself. It's like Vera Luck's always in, always bad. You know, it's, it's a sad story. It's but the it, darkest it's out of the five, in my opinion. Yeah. 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 As, as silly Frankenstein is young Frankenstein. Yeah. <laughs> Hard yeah. to argue that. Mickey, what'd you think of the, uh, the green slime? You munghead. I, I really think it's, um, it kind of like, it's funny because I was watching it last night and granted this, it almost, when you think about it, especially when they end it and they show the sign, um, it's almost like the eighties version of like, sort of like the last of us where like the stuff is just creeping all over everywhere. You know what I mean? Um, Mm. um, I think I, I, that scene always, that story always kind of like, kind of like you feel it when you're done watching the mist, you're like, Oh, you know, like somebody punched you in the stomach. Like nothing's like watching the end of the mist. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it just makes you like so sad. Like you're just like, God damn this poor guy. Like, you know, you, clearly he's a loner you know he's never been married that you can tell he's just he lived his whole life alone he has no you know social skills he has nothing and he's just he's like oh yay i found this cool thing and and now i screwed it up you know what i mean and i just it it was very sad i think you know that was the most um depressing out of all of them for me um always has been Uh, i thought he did a good job for what it was um but you know, it definitely was not my favorite out of yeah. all the stories. If they had used a more dramatic actor in that, 
I think the I I think it would have been too heavy. I don't even think I would have wanted to watch it. I think that the goofy performance over the top that Stephen King delivered made that episode watchable and fit the movie. I think it would have gotten too dark if it had been a uh, a dramatic actor. That's mm-hmm. a really good think? point. Definitely, it, yeah. it's funny because the music for it is. Um, Straight out of Tales from the Dark Side, if you remember that show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's It literally is the music because the they were worried that that one wasn't going to fit in the movie. So if they ended up taking it out, you'll notice it's around a runtime that a half hour show would be with commercials. They figured they mm. could just pull it out, throw it at the TV show because Richard Rubenstein and George Romero did Tales from the Crypt. Oh, so they were so thinking, cool. this didn't work and then somebody wants to take it out, doesn't flow. We could just put it on TV and we're, we have we have it ready to go. Do you guys think that the uh, the the green fur made it across the entire globe? Oh God, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Had to. They it's couldn't totally stop that. How do you stop? Especially with the the voiceover on the TV. Hey, we're expecting rain. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I love that. Great. I love that. Yeah, you need a lot of roundup to get rid of that, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, Delin, did you right. have any thoughts on that one, or are you you all you good? So. So I hadn't seen Creepshow in a very long time. I saw it probably in my teenage years and hadn't seen it. In, but the one thing that always stuck with me was Jordy Verrill was the green stuff. Like you can't forget it. And uh, I honestly really liked King's performance. I know he thinks it was a little goofy, but honestly, it just worked for me. Like it was memorable. It worked for me. And um, I liked the story, even though it's a sad one. Like I, it stuck with me for sure. I liked it too. I, I just find it amusing that everyone thinks though the horror fans are all these heavy metal hard heartless bastards and everything. It's like we're sitting there going, it made us cry. Oh, it <laughs> it's did. like it it's did. like we're the ones with the feelings and the empathy, and it's like you know, yeah. it's like it was supposed to be the one you laugh at, and no, we're not going to laugh at. That's sad. No, Tony, no, it was funny. I sad. told you that I watched uh, Eddie and the Cruisers last, last night, and while I was watching it, I because I thought I had seen Eddie and the Cruisers. I'm like, of course I've seen it. I had never seen it, and I I watched it, it was fucking so good tom berenger playing the the uh co-leading role young tom berenger just so good and uh i'm like is this the fucking guy from streets of fire i'm like it can't be the same actor from streets of fire because that guy couldn't act and this guy is fucking amazing it was the same guy it was michael no. perret no oh, i love I michael perret i couldn't believe Ugh. it was michael perret he was so fucking good and the movie was so fucking good i love that soundtrack yeah. It, oh, I love it too. But I mean, the movie itself was like this great, like mystery, uh, you know, told in past tense and it was just really good. And then it had the, the hook ending that you just want in a movie like that, where you're just like, yeah, Eddie. And, uh, and then I stayed up too late and watched, uh, desperately seeking Susan again. Sweet. <laughs> and, uh, wow. and what I took away from that is no woman can say no to a guy named Des. Ah, to get a bag. Oh, okay. Jesus Christ. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Let's keep rocking. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking loser. Dwayne <laughs> <laughs> says no to me like nonstop. Every day. Every oh day. my gosh. At least I keep trying. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Story number three something to tide you over. Harry Wentworth, played by Ted Danson is awakened by a knock at his door from Richard Vickers, played by Leslie Nielsen with his luxurious white hair. A dramatic Leslie Nielsen, I yes. might add. And the funny thing is, it's like, I he did he have white hair since he was like 12? Like, yes, he's just, pretty much. I don't know if I've ever seen he him He was born 50. 
He was born 50. He came out of the womb at 50. Oh, my gosh. It seems that Harry has been having an affair with Richard's wife, Becky, and Richard has come to confront him. Instead of attacking him, Richard plays him a cassette of Becky's terrified voice begging Harry for help. Harry accompanies Richard back to his private beachfront estate, where Richard forces him at gunpoint to climb into a hole in the sand on the beach. Burying Harry up to his neck, Richard then connects a television that displays live footage of Becky, also buried up to her neck, in another location on the beach. The tide is already starting to come in and wash over her face. Harry realizes that they will both soon be dead. There's no reasoning with Richard, who seems to be taking great delight in his revenge. Richard abandons Harry and goes back to his beach house, where he watches the drowning deaths of both Becky and Harry on video monitors. Before the last wave covers Harry's head, he vows revenge on Richard. Later that night, Richard is alone in the beach house when he seems to hear voices calling him. While he showers, two shuffling figures enter his home, defying the many security cameras and alarms that Richard has in place. When Richard emerges from the shower, he hears somebody in his house and immediately thinks it's Harry, somehow still alive. He is terrified to discover that the invaders in his home are waterlogged corpses of both Becky and Harry. They're now both zombies covered in seaweed with green pruning skin. Richard's gun has no effect, and the zombies taunt him the same way he taunted them. And we finally see Richard, now completely insane, buried on the beach in the same way, waiting for the tide to come in. I can hold my breath for a long time, he yells crazily. So Tony does and I had a conversation about whether or not you could get yourself out of that hole. I say yes, he said no. The internet sided with him. After many hours, of de- unless you had like many hours and decent strength and endurance, you might be able to get yourself out if the sandwich dry- was dry, which it was not for poor Harry and Becky. So I was wrong. <laughs> You're not a horror fan unless you've tried this. <laughs> so, Tony. Unless you've been on. with your friends at the beach oh, going, dude, shit. do me a favor. I'm going to kneel down. I want you to bury me up to my neck. and Let me see if I can get out. I got out every single time. Did you really? <laughs> Granted, I didn't go in like the hot, the wet. You know, I'm, I'm not I'm not an idiot. I don't trust my friends that much to not get me out. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, but I got out. I mean, I tried it at least twice okay. and I was able I to get it. out. But of course, the wet sand is going to make it harder. You know, can't get any leverage, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Right. See, to me, this was the funny one. I don't know if that yeah. what that says about funny. me. But it's like, and it's not just because Leslie Nielsen is, I know him as a comedian actor. It's because it's just such a dark, he's so, his humor is so dark with it. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And And he's maniacal. Yeah. Good word. Um, Brilliant. So yeah, it's just, he's so, just the way he plays it off. It's like, oh, you know, you really should get these cables tightened. I'm surprised you haven't seen the degrading in the image. It's like. So, he's so good in this. He he possibly could. This could be the best performance next to Bedelia in this whole movie for me because he's so yes. His he's getting his point across, but he's so distracted and just such an asshole, and I love it. And then I mean Ted Dance is just a doofus anyway. What are you going to do? <laughs> um, and is this you know, pre Cheers or is this during Cheers? This is during Cheers. Pre- is it okay. during? Oh. I thought it was just before Cheers. I thought Cheers started in 82. That's why I thought he, it was like on and doing his thing. I could be wrong. I don't know. Yeah, I thought and, this was just before he, uh, uh, he became. Cheers was 82 Cheers. to 93. So he probably just got on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. The woman who plays the the wife is actually um, Galen Ross, who's the, the female lead in Dawn of the Dead. Oh, yeah. Right. So I thought she went on to, do, to, to direct a lot of stuff too, didn't, he? didn't she? Yeah. So just awesome. another random little thing. Um, 
it's just I, I my thing was always like, do they can you really stretch a cable from the house a mile? Fuck like yeah. that always was the thing. I was like, he's not going to get that crystal clear signal <laughs> on a mile cable. I'm sorry. <laughs> I did not video ask video. for any realism in this entire movie. I was fine with anything they served me. I was like, mm, okay. <laughs> it was, and just when the final reveal of them, it's like, I did not see them looking the way they're going to be seen. Like that, that was some fun, inventive makeup right there on those yeah. two. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the voice effects, I mean, just, oh, between gray and, and then them. like when he, when he shoots them and like the black water comes out. Yeah. It's so watery. Weird. It's so good. It's just, they, yeah. Attention to detail of everything on this, on all of them are just, Tom Savini is, is always and will be always my favorite special effects. Um, Me too. Really. I love him. I just wish he was an asshole. Um, is he an oh, asshole? is he? Oh, he's, he's, a, he's, he's not, he's really? not, a, he's not good to his fans. I feel oh, too many stories. Too, I, I've had one experience, which was okay. One, which wasn't. And you can always say you're having a bad day, but once you hear it, you're known for having a bad day. It just is unfortunate. Yeah. That's too yeah. bad. I love him too. Tom's like, even like Bruce Campbell, like I met Bruce Campbell at his book signing and he was so lovely and so funny, you know, and, it, and he took 10 minutes out of his day or whatever. But like, I feel like, I don't know, Tom Savini, you're, you know, so many kids, you know, see your stuff and want to do what you do. You know, at least, you know, I, I don't know. You don't have to like spend an hour with them, but I, I hate when people are like, <clears throat> excuse me. I hate when people that have that kind of influence over other people, um, abuse it and they don't, I'm not saying you have to be nice to everybody because you're entitled to having a life. But like what you said, when you're known for having a bad day, then that, that, yeah. you know, when you go to, when you're at, you have your table at a convention and you're looking at your phone instead of talking to people who are paying money to get your autograph, you're a dick. Yeah. Just, yeah. And again, I have friends who, who know him, who say he's a great guy, give you the shirt off his back. And I hope that's true. I've just heard more. A lot of stories. A lot yeah. of stories of just people like, you know, the, the all right, sign it, move, sign it, like not even to look up to have a conversation. And that's all people want to do with him is because they idolize his effects. I mean, Fred 13th, Dawn of the Dead, acting in Knight Riders. Mm -hmm. he, George Romero gave him Night of Living Dead to direct. It's right, like right. It, all his stuff is what everybody our age grew up watching. Like that right. when you saw someone's head explode, you saw a knife, you saw a machete, he did it. <laughs> he did it yeah. better than anybody. Yeah. You yeah, know, awesome. you want a werewolf, you go to Rob Bottin, you go to, you know, Chris Wallace, you go to them. Those are the creature guys. Savini was the guy who killed people really well. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And speaking of Savini and then also talking about The Walking Dead, I read a story about how uh, George Romero invited this young kid to come on set and check things out because he was interested. And lo and behold, years later, that young kid is Greg Nicotero, who did mm -hmm. all the Walking Dead stuff. And that's where he got his excitement and his start was coming on to the Creepshow set. So I thought that was kind of a little cool tie-in. Yeah, they gave him a job in Day of the Dead. He actually oh, started he started working with Savini on Day of the Dead. If you if you watch Day of the Dead now, remember when they uncover the, the table and there's a head laying there? That's Nicotero's yeah. head. He plays one of the soldiers. Oh, so I mean, he's all over them. So I mean, that's where he started. Was Day of the Dead was his was, first, you know, big. I was gonna right. say I thought he did. I I thought Negatero did like worked either under Tom Savini or with him. 
Yeah, Pasquale Buba, um, Tom Savini, and um, Nicotero, and Berger, you know, the KNB pretty much is what came out from the Savini influence. You know, Savini's got his school. I mean, and from yeah. what I hear, it was good for the first few years, and then it just became a. All right, yeah, I'm just putting my name on it. He shows up for graduation, shakes some hands, and then leaves. It's which is too bad because that sucks. Unfortunately, yeah. the, the way the industry's gone, it's all CG. There's very few practical effects anymore, and when they do come out, they're so appreciative. Like I love seeing practical effects. Oh yeah, um, me too. There's a movie that just came out, um, Malum which came out about a month ago in and out of theaters. It's actually the director remade his first movie called the last shift. And it's about this cult. It's about the story of an, of an officer on her, one of her first shifts on the last night, a police station is open. And the reason they opened a different police station is because too many weird things were happening at the one she's at. And her father was killed on a raid of this cult and the cult cursed everything. So it's basically a demonic, weird cult thing. And the creatures in this are just amazing. There's another one called The Void, which is another amazing creature heavy effect movie. When you see them, they're so refreshing. So it's just, yeah. I know I'm off on a tangent again. I do that. Sorry. It's okay. Um, it's okay. No, right. but it's true. But yeah, I mean, there's I mean, a lot to be said for practical effects. You know, I mean yeah cgi is great and don't get me wrong like we've all seen movies over the past you know even 10 years where it just blows your mind what you're seeing but there's something to be said for just a sweet sweet practical effect it just i love it yeah i love it so this episode is where this movie starts to take off for me because i love the last three episodes big time um this one in particular i really like this one a lot and as i was watching it today i was like wow this one really reminds me of uh, The Vanishing with Kiefer Sutherland and um, Sandra Bullock. Have you guys seen oh, it? So, yeah. you know, basically, you know, um, Leslie Nielsen saying, you know, basically what he's saying to Kiefer Sutherland, you know, drink the coffee and you'll find out what happened to your girlfriend. Trust me, I'm not saying I killed her. I'm just going to telling you that you're going to, you'll experience exactly what she experienced. And, you know, in, in The Vanishing, you know, he kicks Jeff Bridges' ass and then Jeff Bridges is fine, you know, then you're never going to find out. And he's like, all right, let me just hold the keychain one more time, you know. And they both get buried, basically, yeah. and suffocate. It's it's very, very similar. Mm -hmm. I love that movie. I love this episode. Um, so he gets Ted Danza down onto the beach. And, you know, Ted's got the shovel. And Leslie pulls out the gun. Um, he's holding a Smith and Wesson model 29 It's a 44 caliber Magnum. So, I mean, it's a pretty powerful gun, but you could take a shot in the arm, a leg, shoulder, um, you know, probably even you could take a shot anywhere, but directly in the heart or in the face and probably survive it to get to a hospital. I'm not letting this guy bury me. I'm, I'm attacking with a shovel. I'm taking a shot or two. If he kills me, he kills me. You're dead anyway. You're not, you climb into that hole. You're fucked. Right. I mean, Tony, are you taking a shot with the shovel? I would, I would, he was close enough that he could have got a swing with the shovel. Yeah, he would have been I hit. Once. Yeah. He would have got clipped for sure, but you got a chance anyway. Um, the, the final scene with Ted Danson's head floating with the hair going up and the red halo around his head. Such a they great must, scene. They must've put him in a tank, right? I mean, they had, yeah. Ted yeah. Water. yeah, yeah. They put Ted Danson in a in a fish tank for sure. <laughs> um, so, question you have to ask yourself: Had um, had he killed before? Les had Harry killed before? 
Was this his first time? Or were some of those other videotapes in his collection murders? Yes. Now, I saw Ooh. those videotapes and I'm like, hmm. I was like, those are like in a special place. Yes. Those are not yeah. like in, you know, like they're all lined up neatly next. It's like, it's like those are special tapes. That That's something else going on there. Yeah. And, and he, he owns that piece. Name? Oh, I don't know. When he was yeah. looking through the tapes, didn't he say like, let's watch da 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 da? And then yes. he, I thought he said a name. He did say a name. I and had never even also, thought of this. That's awesome. He was also <laughs> noticing that when he gets when he gets um Ted Danza down on the beach, he's like, I own this. He's like, help, help. No one can hear you. I own this whole thing. He'd yeah. done this before. He had the reels, you know, when he pulls the wire out of the sand and it's ripped, he looks at it like this isn't what usually happens. Oh, the tide must have taken the TV, you know taking it out i think he's done this before and i think that collection of videotapes was past victims he's a serial i killer. think you might be right that's really good yeah, yeah. i'm gonna go with that um, yeah that's canada yeah, yeah i, mean, I think was, it i was gonna say he was a great he was a great villain in this i didn't see the naked gun leslie nielsen which I, blew me away this time because i was sure when the episode started i remembered him being the guy from fucking you know all those movies and it wasn't it, he was just <laughs> this great villain yeah, no, so. he he brought some serious chops to it, and the fact yeah. that he's making everyone laugh behind the scenes is just makes it that much better. Yeah, because yeah. he's still who he is, but he was able to like turn it off and turn on this really good acting, you know, turn. Well, he comes yeah, from good. a drama background, doesn't he? Before he, yes, like back in the day, he was uh, he was he did like lawyers and doctors and stuff, didn't he? Yeah. He was a oh, dramatic so actor before all those naked gun things went down. Just ruined the, it. You know, the one thing I really realized on these, uh, cause I watched this a couple of times for this podcast was how deep the writing is. Like you think these are stupid, like little, like in memory, I remember this being almost like the twilight zone movie. Yeah. Um, that one that came out in the eighties. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because that show. movie, yeah, that movie steals a lot from this movie. Like for instance, when they have the little kid, um, what was his name that wished people into the cornfield? Tony or whatever. Um, when he would do that stuff, the light would all turn red in the room. And yeah. they were using that during the Tasmania devil kills and, uh, and a few other scenes. And I said, that's that, you know, they took that from this movie. So this movie definitely was, uh, was in- inspiring a lot of things, TV shows that would come after it and movies that would come after it. I mean, I really think it just comes down to the EC comics, the whole tales from the crypt vault of horror. That's, that's where all of this came from. I mean, in the same, you know, you had the original tales from the crypt movie, which is still phenomenal. Peter Cushing, Joan Crawford. I'm not Joan Crawford, Mm -hmm. Joan Collins. Um, Just an amazing movie. And then of course the eighties revival tales from the crypt on HBO. I loved that show. It's just, I I still just, everyone's all throw one in. It's just, they're, they're really just great. Um, Billy Worth did a Tales from the Crypt episode. Which one? <laughs> Billy oh, did he? Billy, Billy Worth, Worth did one. <laughs> yeah. We know you love some Billy Worth. I do. <laughs> so, girls, what'd you think of this scene, Mickey? Um the the tide the I actually said to Tony last night. I said this was actually this is actually a really cool idea. <laughs> like. <laughs> You best you know watch your I mean? ass. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, look out. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's it's when you think about it, but then you also think like this guy is a sick fucker for like the just the like it's so much easier to just shoot somebody. Yeah. Do you know what oh, I mean? The like, level of torture is ridiculous. This yeah. Is but that's why he was collecting these videos. That's why yeah. I felt like he didn't want to kill him like that. He he went home. He made himself a cocktail. He was going to watch it like pay per view stuff. Yeah, I think yeah. 
Um, well, actually, but- it's funny that you said that because there is a scene where he makes the cocktail and he's laughing and he's giggling and he's watching them and his it switches all of a sudden. He's super serious. He's like staring yes. at it. And at first I was like, does he feel bad? Like, that's his wife. Like, does he feel bad? And I was like, he doesn't feel bad. No, you know he what doesn't it feel is? Bad. He was watching it and... And I think that's when Ted Danson's going, I'm going to get you, Richard. And he looks like right at the camera. And I think for like a second, he's like, I feel like part of him is like, what the fuck did I just do? I should go kill him. <laughs> what was yeah, cool stylistically like, there with two was those shots were done in black and white, which I really thought was kind of fun. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think he, I, I, I like this. I think out of. This was probably like my out of the four, technically five stories. I think this is probably my second to least favorite. I think um, technically I like, I six liked, stories. I actually liked Father's Day better than this one. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was it was cool to see Leslie Nielsen in a non comedic role. Um, and I thought he played it really well, and he he was just so twisted. And clearly, the guy has money. I mean, if you look at his house. You know oh, what I yeah. mean? Um, he owns that whole beach. Yeah. That's yeah. money. Big box. So yeah. it's just, I don't know. I, I think Des, though, like you made a really good point. I think that that's what he was watching was videos of other, you know, I think he's, yeah. you know, that he makes a habit of this. He's the collector. He's a yeah. sick puppy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a sick puppy for sure. And and you touched on oh, it right. earlier when you brought it up, Des, the, um, the alternate ending is that yeah. he actually calls the police on the two zombies. And they somehow they they get away, and he goes like, "No, no, I got evidence." And he wants to put the videotape in of the zombies shambling around, but he puts the videotapes of them dying in the surf. And they're yeah. like, "Oh no, no, I put the wrong one in. That's not what I was. Oh no, no, you got the right one." And they cut to the guest. He's, "I can hold my breath for a long time." So it's uh-huh. still a really great ending to it, but it makes yeah. you wonder if what like you're right. The other tapes that are there put the wrong one in. Did they that's, find the library? That's so good. I never even put that yeah. together. Yeah. I mean, that, even that, the, the one tape is enough to put you away, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the layers to these stories, though, all of them, even like, like I said, you know, putting the parallels between this and The Vanishing, it's like you look at these short stories on the surface and they seem very basic, but when you really start watching them and thinking deeper into them, like the one with Stephen King, how far did this fucking parasite go? Did it take over the planet? Like, this could be a two-hour movie. Like, you yeah. know, this could be like a like a sci-fi flick. Yeah, and, and this also one the, too. Yeah, also the fact that the zombies are bypassing the alarms, bypassing the cameras. It's just missed. Is he actually seeing them or is he not? Like, is, what's going on there? I mean, granted, he ends up... You know. The, if you use the ending where he ends up in the gas chamber, it could have just been finally he snapped. But right. this ending where he ends up buried on the beach you got to think they actually came in and took him. I believe right. he can hold his breath a very long <laughs> time. He sold me. I remember watching this too and being like, kind of like I was, um, you know, later on with the descent, just like, like, you know what I mean? When like, when they're showing yeah. to, I'm like, Ugh, can't, descent, can't do it. Yeah, you, descent is a whole other it. level of anxiety. That's yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Genius filmmaking. Yeah, but you you touched on something else. The fact that they were just fog, it, it's like how do you not compare that to the fog? You know, Romero's got Adrian Barbeau who's hanging up, who's married to John Carpenter at the time. John Carpenter has visited the set a bunch of times. 
makes you wonder like right. did you influence uh-huh. that too it's like the right. whole incestuous like 80s were just amazing it's the best yeah. time for horror yeah. everybody yes. was just feeding off each other oh so good <laughs> mm-hmm. all right so shall we move on to story number four sure. oh yeah all right story number four the crate a janitor at Horlicks University, Mike, discovers an old dusty crate behind a grate under a basement stairwell. He calls Professor Dexter Stanley to investigate it with him, drawing him away from a stuffy facility gathering. At the gathering is Dexter's good friend, Professor Henry Northrup, played by Hal Holbrook. Henry is married to obnoxious shrew of a woman named Wilma, Adrian Barbeau. Wilma, who is... <laughs> Wilma, who is continuously drunk, embarrasses herself and Henry at the party, and it seems as if she's about to ruin the friendship Henry shares with Dex. Henry, who is somewhat meek, fantasizes about ways to murder her. Back at the university, Dex and Mike pull the crate out from under the stairs and realize that it appears to have been there since the late 1800s. A stamp on the outside of the wooden box indicates that it contains specimens from an Arctic expedition. When the two of them open it, they sense movement from inside the crate, and Mike is attacked by something when he pulls his arm into the crate. Whatever it is pulls Mike inside, apparently eating him as it goes, and Dex catches a glimpse of a horrible shaggy beast with huge teeth. Dex runs blindly from the lab and finds the only other person in the hall, a student named Charlie. Charlie goes down into the laboratory and finds it covered in blood, with no sign of the crate or the creature. Charlie and Dex find the crate back under the stairs, and when Charlie attempts to investigate, the creature attacks him and eats him too. Dex is afraid to go to the police. Instead, he goes to Henry's house and he arrives while Wilma is away from the evening. He tells Henry the story about the creature and Henry knows Dexter has to be telling the truth. Henry hatches a plan. He gives Dex sleeping pills and leaves him locked into the study asleep. Henry writes Wilma a note concocting a bogus story designed to lure her to the laboratory. He gets there ahead of her and cleans up all the evidence of blood. Wilma can't resist Henry's trap and she shows up at the university as planned. Henry lures her under the stairs and her obnoxious ranting draws the creature out of its crate. It eats Wilma before Henry's eyes. Henry then chains it inside the crate and dumps the crate into a nearby quarry. When Dexter wakes up the next day, he and Henry vow to keep the secret of what really happened and let the authorities deal with the disappearances. The final frames show the creature in its watery trap, tearing the crate to pieces and presumably escaping. So, uh, Mickey, this is probably the goriest of the stories, and I appreciate that though you see the monster, he's... In garish lighting or in the dark, and you can't really suss out exactly what he looks like, so there's not enough time to pick apart that practical effect, and it's pretty successful. Yes, this was my favorite story out of all of them, and I used to, sounds so twisted, but like I used to want that creature. Like I'm like I want him. Like you know what I mean? Like I wanted like a stuffed crate creature so bad. Um, I just thought it was so cool. First of all, I love Adrian Barbo. She was like one of my idols growing up. Like. I don't know. She was just amazing. She's just amazing. And she played that part so well. She was so obnoxious. And I feel like I've known people like that in real life. Oh, yeah. um, and honestly, the guy that plays um, Dex, um, when he comes back to the house after all the shit goes down and he goes back to tell Henry what's going on, that acting, he was so incredible in that one. He's like, like he's just blubbering and like he's like laughing and crying. That was so awesome. He was so good in that. Um, and then poor Henry, poor Henry, like I've known a lot of men like that too. And you just like, no matter what they do, it's never good enough for the wife. So, um, 
I, I, you know, I love that he was like, I'm just going to kill two birds with one stone, you know, and <laughs> I love that he did that. Um, but I, that was the, that was my favorite story. Just everything about it. None of it really ever scared me. Um, but, and I also love that they, they also made it seem like the little noises he made that the little, the little chirping noises that the creature made, like, you're like, Oh, I can pet mm. him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is he cute? No, you, you really can't. <laughs> um, but I used to, I, I used to want one of those so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I also thought that the scene where um, the creature jumps out and grabs her and she does the thing where she turns and well, it's like she turns and her face is in red and the blue is behind her. And it's so striking Mm -hmm. that scene. It was like, that was perfect. It was so cool. And I love it. She, and it almost like she did it like a comic because she, her, her arm is like like straight out. Yep. Yep. It just looks so good. She, so she's good. amazing. She can do no wrong as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> 100%. Love Adrian Barbo in everything she does. Me too. Um there's just there's just too much to go on. It just it sets everything up perfectly. It is the I mean obviously it's the longest one. It's the most involved. Um but every every character in what it's it's a the 20 minute 25 minute every mm-hmm. character is yeah, fleshed out. So you you have layers of each one. You see the pain on Hal Holbrook's face, you see where you literally can see where it turns, you know, him planning, giving the, giving the sleeping pills. It's just, and the acting of, um, of Dexter. Yeah. Just the, I don't even know what it was like that is his delivery is so (laughs) insane. He's so over the top. Can't believe what just happened. It's just, uh, just, Oh, so fucking good. And you know what else too? Like, I, I love how they, how they really stressed how completely fucked and fed up Henry was because they kept showing him thinking that he was murdering her. His, like all the different things like, Oh, dreams. I shot her. You know what I mean? I love yeah. those. I love yeah, that. Cause you're like, Oh my God, do you just do? Oh, all right. He should have. Yeah. It's just, I mean, her reading the note being such a douche. Like, oh, of course you can't. Like, oh, what did you do now? Oh, she's like getting it's like off on it. She's relishing in yeah. her the other person's agony. Yeah. Can we also talk about the fact that she poured herself milk and like brandy? Oh God, yeah. It was so gross. I was like, what is she, what is she drinking? And the fact <laughs> she just takes it with her when she drives too, which is the best part. Of- she's like, <laughs> no care yeah, she, in the world. She's a, she's a miserable woman. So Hal Holbrook also played Ham, Hamilton Johnson, and Fletch, one of my favorite movies. That's where I <laughs> recognized him from. Um, so this this story was the first one that gave me a jump scare. Uh, actually, the only one that gave me a jump scare of all of them. When he's trying to put the lock back on the case at yep. the end, yes. he slowly got it on the chain. And I actually jumped. I'm like, okay, you got me. So <laughs> I, I love that. I, I, I would have been disappointed if I had walked away from this movie without a jump scare. Um when and I I disagree with you, Delin. I thought they gave us some really good looks at this monster. I don't think they hit it at all. I mean, we get the one shot of it with the red behind it and the fucking lightning bolts on the wall behind it. We're getting good looks at this, and I thought the I basically mouth just great. I just basically mean it's not like they put a spotlight on it and you really got to like to pick it apart. Those the the lighting makes it so that you can kind of forgive some of the stuff that looks a little muppety. Because if you I thought it looked. It, if you see the actual whole beast, it's really stupid looking. 
Yeah. It's like, I love it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm in the same way. I, as soon as they came out with like my pet monster, I'm like, that's the closest I'm going to get to a fluffy in the crate, you know, but I have one of those. I, every, we all should have one of those. It's, it's because fluffy is, it's all the head. And so if the head's this big, the body is only about that big. It's all head. And it's got this weird little pecs and little pouchy belly. And it's going to get stubby little legs. It like, it looks like a, it looks like a midget with a big, it looked like a baboon. Head. It looked like a baboon to me. Yeah. It, uh, Tasmanian devil, huge teeth. Oh, the mouth looked great. When it bites into the college student's head. Oh, God. Yeah. So like, the, the teeth marks. It was yeah. so good. Yes. It really worked for me. I thought this was, I thought this was the most successful monster in the movie. I thought some of the, uh, you know, like Father's Day. I thought the, I thought the corpse looked good, but I thought this looked great. I thought this almost had the quality of, the Twilight Zone movie in the mid '80s. Like I thought, this this monster looked great for me. It looked great. I think I think you're right in the fact that, Delin, that you know the the quick shots of it and the colors, the the lighting of it saved a lot of the imperfections. The the very Absolutely. saturated right saturated reds, the saturated blues. They hid the fact that the blood was very very runny and it wasn't very thick, so it looked all you see is wet in a red light. So yes, it looks yeah. even more violent than it probably really was. And they can get away with that with the rating. Um, but with that being said though, Tony, when he's mopping up the blood on the floor, I thought this was some of the best looking blood I've ever seen in a horror movie. It's, it's definitely better than his, you know, Friday. I think Friday the 13th is probably Friday the 13th part four is, I can't believe I'm grading blood here, but Friday the 13th part four is probably <laughs> the most the good consistency the good deep rich red you go back to dawn of the dead it's it's tepra paint it's bright red it doesn't look good the zombies are blue he was still figuring things out yeah friday 13th he's honing it you know he's starting to get a little bit better by creep show he's i'm going to work on some monsters because there's only creatures there's not a lot of blood in this movie so he was definitely getting it but i think friday 13th part four in 84 he nailed the he finally nailed the recipe i think <laughs> um on a totally like 10 you know five what is it kevin bacon game um hal holbrook was in sons of anarchy as i don't know if anyone's seen sons of anarchy Gemma, who's the the biker mama her dad has alzheimer's it's played by hal holbrook hal holbrook disappears whatever there's a there's a, a she goes to visit him there's a housekeeper there Gemma accidentally kills the housekeeper and they do like, what the fuck? And she calls one of the sons of Ranky. They come up. I know somebody. I'll call somebody to help us get rid of the body. They make the phone call. The door opens. It's Stephen King dressed head to toe in black leather. He's like, my name's Richard Bachman. I'll get to work. And he did. Oh, he, he basically leaves with a suitcase and nothing else. And everything's perfectly clean. It's like, so there's your five degrees of Hal Holbrook to creep show to Stephen King. to sons of Ranky. <laughs> That's pretty uh, cool. So my the, one of the problems I had with this was um, the ending. One, I wish Billy's death had been a little more graphic with the monster. I wanted to see him <laughs> eat her head like cake as well. Um, <laughs> but my big problem is this. So this is where Hal Holbrook makes his big mistake. You don't take that bloody trunk and put it in the fucking trunk of your car. There is no blood evidence all over your car. It's like, just leave it under the fucking stairs. Let the authorities find this Tasmanian devil with a belly full of your wife. You're good. That's it. 
everybody. I'd go there. I'd be like, I'd be like, yeah, we were all here at the school. We came here for whatever reason. You know, my buddy works here. He's a professor. We found this crate. We opened it up. This fucking thing jumped out, started attacking and eating people. We were lucky to get out of here with our lives. My wife is dead. <laughs> you know, what are you doing? Putting this shit in your car. Uh, loved the eyes mm-hmm. of the fucking monster. Loved the way they were drawn in cartoon. And I fucking loved that this monster escapes from the trunk underwater. So again, just like all these stories, is this Tasmanian devil now going to be like, you know, American werewolf in London? These stories could go on and on past what we're seeing. Oh, yeah. These are buildups to bigger movies, to bigger stories, which I love. Well, I'll connect the dots here. It's like, here's a thing that was in a crate for literally decades, dormant, yeah. sitting and waiting, somehow alive. Hibernating. What does it say on the crate? Where does it come from? Arctic. Antarctica. Yeah. Some Sandra Carpenter, John Carpenter made the thing. The thing is infected oh. the Tasmanian devil and is waiting dormant till somebody opens it up and allows it to be. That is fucking awesome. That's what it is. I fucking <laughs> oh love boy. that. Is that oh what it boy. is, or is that just your perception? I think it all points to that. I love that. <laughs> it's fucking great. I love it even more now. Hmm. <laughs> I like it. I'm gonna. I'm going with it. But yeah. I mean, yeah. th- that final scene with with the water, they actually cast Adrian Barbo's head, and it was supposed to float up, and bob in in the water. Oh. But they couldn't ever get it right. It kept going face down. So they just like, all right, f- fuck it. Just go the animated scene. <laughs> we'll just put we'll put the eyes over because that's a cool shot. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Fucking great though. Yeah. Well, it. if her head had gone up, had bobbed up to the top, he, Hal would have been in big trouble. Right. Yeah. That's the other thing. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. there are six stories here. They break the sixth story up into two parts. We're getting the first part in the beginning, and it's the voodoo doll. Yeah. And we're getting the second part at the end. And a lot of people forget that this is actually a short story because it's, you're thinking it's an intro outro, but it's a, it's the sixth story. It's the rapper. And it's one yeah. of my it's it's fucked up, man. It's a fucking story about a kid killing his father. I mean, literally, that's what it is. Like, you're, ju- we'll get you're jumping there. over I our know. bugs. I know we'll get. I know we'll get there when we get there. But I just wanted to point out that we're not about to talk about the last story. So no, go ahead. This is this is the final story, but it's not. It's not. Uh, all right. So our fifth story. They're creeping up on you. Upson Pratt, E.G. Marshall, is a neurotic business tycoon who lives in a sterile white penthouse apartment atop a size skyscraper in a major city. It's New York, though. I'm pretty sure that they show New York City at some point. He communicates with the outside world via the telephone, treating his employees and subordinates in a cutthroat, heartless manner. One one phone caller informs him that an employee, Norman Kastenmeyer, has committed suicide because Pratt fired him. Pratt seems delighted rather than upset. Pratt is obsessed with cleanliness and has a huge phobia of bugs. Unfortunately, he keeps finding cockroaches in his apartment, which sends him on a rampage to correct the situation. He places telephone calls to the building superintendent and makes thinly veiled racial slurs. I don't know if you can call it thinly veiled racial slurs in an attempt to intimidate the man. As Pratt finds more bugs in his apartment, someone gets through on his private line. It's Norman Kastemeyer's widow, Lenore. She calls Pratt to curse, uh, calls Pratt to curse him out for her husband's death. Pratt is amused by her melodramatic sadness until the cockroaches start to multiply. He finds them in his food processor, bits of them surfacing in the grain cereal he eats. 
An electrical blackout occurs and the roaches attack, swarming by the thousands everywhere in Pratt's apartment. Pratt retreats to his safe room, a climate-controlled sleep chamber, just as the phone rings again. Lenore Kastemeyer's voice curses him over and over, I hope you die, I hope you die, and Pratt discovers that his bed is swarming with roaches. The roaches quickly cover him and Pratt suffers a heart attack. The power returns and the lights come back on and the roaches are nowhere to be seen. Pratt's body lies inside the glass sleep chamber. The superintendent knocks at Pratt's door and laughs when Pratt doesn't answer, asking, bugs gut your tongue? Suddenly, swarms of roaches burst from Pratt's body, so many that they nearly fill the chamber. So, Tony, this one for me is probably the most uncomfortable watch because the bugs are just nasty and the whole thing gives me the Wiggins. The Wiggins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty terrible in, in a bunch, in, I mean, in a good way. And just E.G. Marshall is just awesome as such an asshole. I mean, you there's nothing redeeming about him at all. Facial expressions just exaggerated his 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 treatment of everybody. And I think this is probably the, the most quoted one by me because any chance I get I get to go, no, sir, Mr. Pratt. Like anyone again gets a chance to do that is my favorite. It's just the serial scene is the one that gets me every time because one, what are you making? Who eats that kind of like? Why are you putting it in a yeah. food processor? It looks gooey. Like what do you? The same thing last night. What the fuck is he eating? Yeah, and then just like it looks like it's bugs in it anyway. But it's like, oh, oh, it's such a horrible. Ah. No, no, nope. It's like just eat the cereal, dude. You don't have to put it in the yeah. food processor. <laughs> so Tony, you heard they brought these cockroaches in from. Um from uh another country where was it uh like indonesia or something yeah yeah and uh they bought they brought in 18,000 of these things from uh trinidad uh in a bat cave they fucking they waded in waist deep into a bat cave they brought 18,000 of these back they had their own trailer on the set they tried to keep it closed down um you know and i guess it's like 50 cents a bug like when they do like Indiana Jones and Temple Doom, where they bring a guy in that actually brings in like his roaches, mm-hmm. and you sp- you spend fifty cents per roach. That would be a lot at eighteen thousand yeah. roaches, and you know you can't hurt them. They have to be treated. So that wasn't the case here. They brought these things in. Apparently, they were getting out, and it was causing problems everywhere. And uh, they just went in and set off a bunch of bombs and fucking killed them all. And they said that bringing these Trinidad bugs here into the United States actually fucked up part of the ecosystem. They created a new species. Yeah. Yes. Created a new species. So I thought that was pretty creepy in itself. I guess this this was the second to last episode they shot because they basically took over university and the university gymnasium is what they built all their sets in. So this apartment was built in the gym. um, And then they used some of the equipment, some of the other things once they cleaned everything up, I believe the um, the crate was the last one they were trying to finish. And the sets in there, if you look through the crate, they said you can still see if random bugs running around. I can't find them. I've looked. But it's like, oh. and I guess it was <laughs> yeah. um, Tom Savini's the one. That, I guess he's, his quote was like, that place that they rented from has been obviously done into condos, whatever. But there's still a roach problem in that area because Absolutely. of that movie. It's like, oh my god, wow. they really just they really screwed something up with that. Yeah, that yeah, was not so, not so smart. But I mean, what an effect <laughs> that ending when they all come out! Oh, terrible. Well, I could not. I don't 
I don't know if you could have paid me any amount of money to film that skit. No, no, no. <laughs> With him on his chest to... and running on his feet. I'm like, Cockroaches don't bother me as much as um as like spiders. Being a painter, so you know, we have painted in some really bad locations. Like we did the uh the BHC, which is the Brockton Housing Authority. And uh I've gone into some places where we went in and we had to leave where I'm not even exaggerating. Um, like literally cockroaches coming down the stairs in like waves going up the kitchen walls and waves to where you walk in and you just can't go in the unit. I mean, more cockroaches than are in this scene. And that's no exaggeration. I'm talking about like, it looks like CGI. I've walked into these situations. I I thought this was probably the sexiest of all of the episodes. Like it looked like big budget, like this apartment looked really good for 1982. Um, I really love the way they put that old fashioned jukebox in this really like 2001, a space odyssey looking room. It was very cool. The juxtaposition Um, of it. Yeah. Mr. Pratt gets the best lines in the movie. One of them was, um, he says, careful, uh, careful. He he says, George, you did well. Now go out and fuck somebody. (laughs) I was fucking laughing my ass off. These are fucking amazing lines. And he's doing that thing where he's not really talking to other people too much during this. Like he is talking to people on the phone a little bit, talking to Mr. White through the door and stuff. But he's carrying on this like one man dialogue to this whole scene. And it's very entertaining. He delivers it very, very well. And an actor that couldn't pull this off, it wouldn't work. It's almost kind of like in talk radio where I could just listen to him deliver these lines solo and it was very entertaining. And I thought this guy really delivered that super well. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just another classic actor from back in the day that did all the, I think if I remember correctly, he's in 12 angry men. Was that, I'm not sure if that was his. Yeah. I think that's, that was his big moment. Um, So, I mean, he's, he's definitely got the chops and he, for him to be in this movie was like, Oh no shit. He's doing this. He's slumming today or what, you know? So it was (laughs) kind of nice. Cool. The the character building on Mr. Pratt too, which is kind of cool. Cause you know, you hear him talking like, no, they say the one guy died and he was good. Now we don't have to fucking put this prick on the board. You know, don't, don't, don't come don't go too far after, uh, you know, giving out good news. It's like, you're really, they're wanting you to hate this guy, but he delivers a line where he says, you know, I'm from fucking hell's kitchen. I know how to kill a bug. So we're learning that this guy comes from nothing and has built this empire and is not like, uh, you know, a trust fund baby. He didn't have things handed to him. So he's tough. Mr. Pratt is tough. He's not a pussy. And I like that. So you're, says the guy with a wall street poster on his wall. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Hail to fucking Michael Douglas and wall street. Uh, (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) Uh. Yeah. So I think that I also wanted to put a little shout out towards when he's dead at the end and he's laying on the bed and you see the blood start to come out of his head mm-hmm. and there's something moving. It's still the actor. Like you can tell it's still the actor and then they switch it out for the dummy. And then that's when the bugs start coming out. And I appreciate that. That, you know, they, he, they took the time to do the little thing with the actual actor before they switch you out for the dummy. Cause it's, right. it's obvious that it's a dummy, but I appreciated the little bit that they did there to mm-hmm. make it a little more believable. That's what I love so much about the Tasmanian devil was they took a chance on that one. Like 
It's, I mean, I thought it was in your face. I just thought that that fucking really worked. Like, if this movie hadn't had those scenes with that Tasmanian devil, I would have almost felt a little bit gypped. Like, it really brought the creep show. It just did. You know? It's one of the things, Savini, and one of the things I watched last night, Savini actually said that George called up. He's like, right before they were watching the final screening, um, as a, as a, a group, he, he's like, I just want you to know, I have to apologize. Like we really cut a lot of the shots of Fluffy out just, you know, the way they edited it down. Cause the guy who edited it is actually the guy who edited star Wars. I don't know how oh, wow. Romero got it, but he got that. That's the editor. So as he's going through it, he just shaved more and more of it off saying, we got to go the jaws route. We got to go the jaws route. The less we see the better. And Savini actually thanked him because it like made what he felt was a mediocre puppet really scary. And, and really this movie, that creature is legendary for this movie. I mean, when you think you got, you got bugs, you got the zombie, but fluffy is the face of, of creep. Yeah. Agreed. Oh, yeah. 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 Even more I so thought, than the creep, you know? Yeah. 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 I, I thought it was great. And it really needed that one scene of extreme gore when it bites into the guy's face and his neck. It, it just, <laughs> it needed it. The movie yeah. had to have it. It had to yeah. have it. And it needed that jump scare as well. Because it—that's where for the one minute I was—I was spooked, and I want to be mm-hmm. spooked in a horror movie. Um, so, you guys got anything else on this uh, bug scene? It mm. is what it is. It's just—it's—it's it's real. Great actor given great dialogue with the creepiest thing you could really do, which is bugs. Yeah, it's and he, pull, he totally pulled it off by himself. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. great acting. You know, nobody ever else comes into that room, so he does it all himself, pretty much. You know, it's it's the sign of a great actor. Like I just watched a movie with Robert Redford where he is stranded on a sailboat for like thirty days, and you know he literally has probably ten lines in two hours. And I'm just watching this movie going, okay, I'm totally into this. You're fucking Robert Redford. And this is why you fucking, you kick ass. You're a great actor. Um, Yeah. So now we're going to get the uh, final, the final half of the first story, if you will. Right. And I fucking love this story. All right. So the wraparound story with Billy concludes the next morning when two garbage men, including a cameo by our practical effects guru, Tom Savini, discover the comic book next to the trash can in front of Billy's house. They leave through it, saying how much they and their kids enjoy the comics. They discover that somebody has clipped a mail-in coupon for a genuine Haitian voodoo doll. Inside the house, Billy's father, Stan, suddenly suffers neck pain while up in his bedroom, Billy stabs a voodoo doll wearing a piece of his father's shirt. He stabs it repeatedly with a pin as payback for Stan tossing out his favorite comic book. Like each story in the comic book, this live action scene of Billy stabbing the voodoo doll becomes an illustrated comic book picture. And as the camera pulls back, we see that the comic's host, the creep, is holding the second issue of the creep show comic book in his bony hands with Billy and his voodoo doll adorning the cover. The creep laughs and a nearby candle flame goes out, pulling the scene into darkness. All right, guys, have at it. I would like to submit that Billy is a fucked up little kid, okay? I want to submit that maybe Billy has been caught killing cats in the neighborhood. I want to submit that Billy needed that smack in the face, that his parents are finally at that point. I don't think his father was necessarily bad. I think his father was saying, this kid is a little serial killer. I need to stop this immediately. The kid is sneaking horror magazines into the house at this age. And here is my evidence. 
all right, we've all been little kids mad at our parents. You know, you didn't get what you wanted. I hate you. Fuck you. I wish I was not. You weren't my mommy and daddy. All right. He's killing his father. His father's down in the kitchen about to have a cardiac arrest because this kid is jamming a fucking pin gleefully into his father's chest. His father's like, he's killing his father. He's a little psycho. So now (laughs) I am going to submit that this is the young Billy from Black Christmas. This is the the origin of your <laughs> Tony rolling his eyes. Tony's rolling his eyes. He's like, "Don't do it, dude." This is Billy from you, Black Christmas. You have reached before, but this is like the long, long, like we're with seventy five foot cast into the ocean for that. Oh, one. good! I did that for you. I, I didn't really think this is Billy from Black Christmas. I but uh, yeah, I I want to just say I think this kid is fucked up, and I think his parents realized that his father was at the end of his rope with him, and just fucking knock it off, you little shit. And now the kid's gonna kill his dad. So there it is. That's my final thought on this story. <laughs> Can anybody follow that up? <laughs> I just thought the dad was a dick. <laughs> no, no, he's a good look at look at the toys Billy has. This isn't a dick. This man buys his son anything he wants. The mother does. Thank you. The mother does. No, mm-hmm. the mother wants to protect him. You can money. see when he walks out of the room, she gives the look like she wants to go see him, Ooh. wants to go comfort him, but no, she can't because she's going to get her smack if she does. Let me tell you why that theory doesn't hold water. Okay, this woman is only given money to go buy groceries. She doesn't have her own money. She can't go buy him expensive toys. Dad won't let that happen. No, you know why? Because mom's in charge of Christmas. Dad sits on the couch, drinks his eggnog, has his smokes, watches like, oh, yeah, that's nice. We got you that. What do we get him again? He's that father. He's the the 80s father. He has no idea what his wife's buying the kid for Christmas. The kid got everything for that. She's in charge of buying everything. She's the reason he has it. Yes, he's the hardworking one, distributing the money. You know, I I think you're right. If we want to go down that route, I think she is the kept home, you know, home owned. What am I looking for? Home, uh, stay at home wife, yeah. homemaking wife. And and it's, <laughs> you can see it in the way she she's sewing nervously when she's talking to him. It's just, he's like, you know, that's why God made fathers, babe. And she's just like, looks at him in disgust because she hates him as well. Yeah. I think also when, uh, when she ways. notices the t-shirt, there's a piece of the t-shirts missing. She looks at it and she goes and puts it right back. She doesn't say anything. I she doesn't never even picked up on that before. Yep. She picks up the t-shirt to, to iron it, notices the hole in it. And she just goes Boop, and just puts it aside. She doesn't say a thing. I'm going to go back and watch that. I've never noticed that before. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's it's the awesome. yellow t-shirt. Yep. I love it. Wow. Yeah, little Billy went on to be a serial killer. <laughs> well, if you see what happens in the next one, you know, you can see where the where Billy ends up. Oh, really? I don't know if it's Billy, but it's it's the same wraparound. There's a little kid being bullied. Okay. No. Well, you and, now you're gonna have to watch it. I liked I liked the second creep show. I not as much. Not as much, but it's still solid. The third one. God fucking terrible. Don't even talk about I it. I didn't even, I don't, I didn't see No one even one. knows it's there. I think it's called Ritual. And it's li- only one story. It's Creepshow Ritual. Oh. And it's, or is that Tales from the Crypt? I could be getting confused here. Yeah, I don't think I saw any of the, uh, the other ones of these, no. the creep shows. Two is fun. It's, there's, there's three stories in the wraparound. And the second yeah. one is, is the best. It's the raft. Oh, that one. Yes. So good. Oh, it's on the list. 
Did George Romero oh, do that one too? Nope. Stephen King wrote everything, but George Romero didn't do it. Okay. Unfortunately. Hmm. All right. Well, let's uh, hit the recasting couch quickly. Um, All right. Okay. So, uh, Tony, go ahead. Who would you cut oh, from shit. this movie and who would you replace them with? Start with somebody else. There's, there's too many actors in this that are just perfect. I, I'm Mickey, sure who would you cut from this movie and who would you replace them with? I was I was thinking about this earlier. Like, honestly, I don't know if I would do anyone, but if I if you had a knife to my throat and I had to pick someone, I would recast Jordy Verrill and put Billy Bob Thornton in there. Oh, good one. Ah, I like that. That's a good one. Like really because good he could be goofy and serious. Right. I like it. Um, I was also going to replace Jordy, and I had two actors that would have worked from the time. You could have either gone with Steve Martin, and it would have been like in his jerk um, era. So, yeah, the jerk phase. Or with uh, Robin Williams from his Mork and Mindy phase. Either one would have worked fine for me. I think they could have played it a little bit more serious with a little better comic timing. And it may have made the whole episode a little more powerful without being over the top. So, but I was fine with Stephen King. I thought he did a great job. But those would be my two. Delin? Um, so I'm going to replace Adrian Barbeau and not because she did anything wrong. She's fantastic. But I would like to see Terry Gar there. Mm. She can't be mean. <laughs> yeah. that would I want be, her to. I that would want be her to. Everything wrong in the world. She's another one of those, like, I love Terry Gar. Oh. Yeah, yeah, she's a sweetheart, yeah, but that's can't. why I want to see her do it. No. I bet she could do an awesome job at it. That's a, I that's have a to say, huh? no, we're not replacing. <laughs> no, that's not going to work. Okay, Tony, who I got, are you going to replace her with? Give I, us a better actress for 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 Billy. Yes, I uh, see. I can't go to, for that time. I would love to see some again against casting against type. I would like to see someone like America's Sweetheart, like like um, uh, Sandra Bullock. Sandra I would like to Bullock. see Sandra Bullock be a wicked twat. <laughs> you know, that's, just... that's the whole reason why. You want to see them do something different. Just like yeah. Leslie Nielsen was so serious. You know, it's I want to see somebody who's normally a sweetheart be Billy. Yeah, I really can't think of anybody for any other, any, I mean, even, even Stephen King, who to me is the weakest one of in every single person in this movie. I don't want to see anyone else do it. Billy yeah. Bob Thornton is a really, that's a, that's a great one because sling blade showed us what he could do, you know? Right. But I mean, I, I, every it's again, it's another, it's, it's a top five movie for me. Solid. It's never left the top five. I just yeah. love this movie. It is. It was good. It was funny because talking it through you with you guys, um, it raised my, because I had a score written down. And after we just talked about it for an hour and 39 minutes <laughs> and realized how deep some of these stories were and how much more was under the surface and how a lot of them really just felt like the beginning of a bigger movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, these were all great ideas. Almost any one of these, except maybe Father's Day, could have been a full length feature. Um because you just see where the movie could go. Like Father's Day kind of ended with him killing his family and then just maybe the corpse disappears. But the rest of these could have gone on way further. The Tasmanian Devil, the alien space goo, the cockroaches could have like, you know, who knows? You it's, know what I'm saying? Like something that tied me over was like the second to the bottom for me. For for I mean, literally forever. It's like, oh, it's all right. Yeah. It's, it's a one trick pony. You adding the level that he's been doing this all along whole different, like that puts it like number two to me for now. Like, cause if he, 
it adds a whole new dimension to his character that it's not just he's mad for revenge. He's just a psycho. Mm-hmm. Right. That well, is awesome. The little kid in the voodoo one. I mean, this is how Halloween starts. You know, he kills his sister. Nah. And in this one, he kills his father. I mean, it's it could lead on to a bigger movie, a franchise. You know, this little kid grows up to be a fucking total psycho. All right. So let's give our rewatch scores. Mickey, what is your rewatch score for Creepshow? My rewatch score is five. I mean, I've seen this movie. I've lost count of how many times I've seen this movie. Like, I could probably recite it verbatim. Um, and, you know, I have very fond memories of watching this young as a younger kid with you know, some of my family. Um, so yeah, definitely a five. I, I don't think, like I said, maybe um, my least favorite was probably the bug or maybe the tide, um, but the crate, I mean, you can't beat the crate. Like that one, that one was this movie for me. Delyn, what is your rewatch score for Show? So, I mean, I think if you were, a younger person today and you watch this, you might have a hard time getting past the 1980s of it all. You know, you might be like, you know, to some of the effects, but frankly, you know, this is a blueprint where a lot of other stories have taken off from. And, you know, you gotta, you gotta respect the classics. And this started with a classic from the EC comics, you know, which were like what these people who made this movie were reading when they were kids, Stephen King, George Romero. And, um, you gotta, you gotta respect that. So I'm gonna give it a, a four point five. Four point five. Okay. Um, I, for all the things you just said, same thing. I mean, this is an OG. It it set up so many other things to come after it that just stole from it or borrowed from it. It's a fucking great movie. Uh, I liked it a little bit more than you did. Um, my only knock on it would be. You know, a couple of them went a little longer than maybe they should have. It's a four seven five for me. It's it's almost a perfect movie, and I, I want to say five, but it's a four seven five for me. So, Tony, what do you think? I mean, Dylan had a that was a great summary right there. It, it is a it is a classic. It influenced everything. It had every scream actor in it all the horror icons everybody we grew up like you know you got three characters from the fog in there you got four characters from escape from new york it's like every again the incestuous 80s of everybody's in everybody's movies this one seemed to bring them all together and it was written great it was shot beautifully it the pacing to me was perfect i agree the crate could have been slimmed down a little bit um again but it's father's day in the crate just perfect to me um Again, nostalgia. My dad taking me to see it. One of the first rated R movies I saw goes a long way. It's the first rated R movie I showed my son. So again, it's passing the tradition on. I've only given Jaws five. This gets a five. Totally. Oh, good. All right, cool. Um, so we get two fives, a four, seven, five, and a four, five. That would bring it to a four and a half, but... I am going to change my score and make it a five too. So this one is going to be a 4.75 because Delin just doesn't get it. And- <laughs> joking. No, it's a 4.75. If you haven't seen Creep Show, what are you waiting for? Go see it. It's a great fucking movie. Um, we will be back next week with Tony again. We get him two weeks in a row. Uh, we're going to be doing the original. Well, not the original, but no. the 80s thing with Kurt Russell. Um, the not best Chris thing. Christopherson. Such a good one. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm super excited for this one. Um, I haven't I seen it movie. since I was a little kid. I saw the remake. I thought it was great. Um, I thought doing four people was awesome tonight. I thought we, I thought yeah. we came together. And yeah. Big fan. Brought it, we brought it home. Uh, so listen, guys, if you're listening to the show, and I know you are, because I see all the listens in the analytics, all I'm asking is when you see us put the show up, just share it. It takes two seconds. Just fucking share it. It takes two <laughs> seconds. It's free. It helps the podcast grow. You're listening to the show at work. You're enjoying it. We're, we're giving you this entertainment, and all we're asking is just share the podcast. So please, I'm begging you. Like, share, subscribe. Don't you have to say like the kids these days? Smash that share button. Yeah, smash that fucking share button. Um, (laughs) As always, I have fun watching the movie from opposite ends of the house with you. Uh, Mickey, great show like always. Um, Tony, you've been fucking killing it on this podcast, man. Like I said, you're giving us like a little stink of a real podcast. Like when you come on, like sound like a real podcast with Tony's here. Just pulling <laughs> shit out of my ass. That's what I do. <laughs> um, and then Mickey, you're going to be back with us uh, after Tony's because Pat is on a one week suspension for mm-hmm. bulldozing Uh-oh. fucking office space. <laughs> 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 and we're going to try and pick something awesome for that one. Something that will hopefully bring in the listens. Um, Delin, tell them where they can find the podcast. All right. You can find the podcast on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, all three of them are at Hey, did you ever see that movie? And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send us an email at Hey, did you ever see that movie at gmail.com. All right. And we have a sister podcast now called Breaking Vinyl, which I am pleased to say is doing remarkably good. I don't know why, but it is caught on <laughs> like wildfire. Uh, it will be dropped tomorrow where we will be discussing Velvet Revolver's Contraband. Um, So you can find that anywhere you find this podcast. That's Breaking Vinyl. And until next time, I have one question for you. Hey, did you ever see that movie? See you next time. Bye. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't look over this script at all yet. I wrote it like in my spare time. So I don't know how this is going to go. Okay. Ready? I doctored it. You're fine. 29. (laughs) 28. Honey. All right. I love how pissed she gets you. All right. Ready? Two. Did you do whatever you want? One.